The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to welcome members of our armed forces who are joining us over the Internet today. Thank you for being with us again. In just a moment, the president of PDS Tech, the fourth largest engineering and IT staffing firm in the United States, and author of the controversial book titled Boomerangs, Mr. Cash Nickerson will be joining us. He has a lot to say about America's aging workforce and why some of the ideas we have about retirement at age 60 don't quite line up with reality. But before Mr. Nickerson joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Stephen Cash Nickerson earned his undergraduate degree from Carleton College and his law degree and MBA from Washington University, where he was the recipient of the U.S. Steel Scholarship. His first big break in business was to serve as corporate counsel for the Union Pacific Railroad, but it didn't take long for him to rise to general manager of Union Pacific's air freight division. Following the success at Union Pacific, Nickerson joined the national law firm of Jenner & Block in Chicago, where he specialized in mergers and acquisitions, and in 1992, he was named a partner in the firm. Since that time, Nickerson has been a prolific entrepreneur, starting and overseeing 11 companies. These triumphs catapulted Nickerson to become one of the foremost authorities on human resource outsourcing, presiding over PDS Tech as president and CFO. As you heard me mention earlier, PDS Tech is the fourth largest engineering and IT staffing company in the U.S., with annual revenues of close to half a billion dollars. While overseeing PDS Tech, Nickerson found time to act as chairman of the Dallas Regional Cabinet for Washington University, a member of the National Council of Washington University School of Law, and International Council of the Whitney R. Harris World Law Institute, and to serve on the Equifax Workforce Solutions Client Advisory Board. And today, he is joining us to talk about two landmark books he's written, Boomerangs and Stagnation, both which offer a look at the new normal when it comes to employment. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program an expert on what it takes to survive in today's fast-changing jobs market, Mr. Cash Nickerson. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Nickerson. Well, thank you very much. I, when I hear my bio, I think I should be a lot more tired than I am. <laughs> well, my, when I listen to my bio, it makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> yes, likewise. Uh, so uh, I thought that uh, I would open the program today by asking you to talk about the fact that we no longer have a young and old workforce, but we have what you call a third age in between. So tell us about that third age. Sure. People are generally aware that people are living longer, but I don't think they have a sense of just how extraordinary the change is. And so I'll just take us back to 1930, right before, of course, Social Security was passed, and let you know that the average life expectancy for a male back in 1930 was 56, and for a woman it was 62. And retirement was set at 65. Think about that, right? Um, we now live in a world where I just had a granddaughter born in Chicago, and she has a 50% chance of living to be 100 years old. So we're talking about a major shift in our new natural lives. And what does that mean? That means that if you're not going to work, retire, and die at 65, um, and you're going to live well into your 80s and people born now to 100, you know, what, what happens with that life beyond where traditional work ended? 
sociologists call it the third age, 65 to 80, which are increasingly able to be productive years for people. And if those years aren't productive, we know one thing for sure. They don't live as long. They become burdens on government and social services. And we lose, most importantly, in many ways, the incredible institutional knowledge and craftsmanship that those people have gathered and could contribute. So it's a real problem. The reason I use the term boomerang, at least one reason, is because the new shape of life is is um, much longer and looks like a boomerang. And the traditional work life looked like a triangle with this cliff called retirement. Mm-hmm. Now we have about, uh, what is it, 80 million baby boomers coming into that third age now. That's almost a third of the population in this country. And I think what you're speaking about is we have this growing asset because of the longevity of our lives. Um, what's going to happen when all these baby boomers reach that third age? Well, if we don't change our perception of these people, and if the work environment doesn't better accommodate them, then they're going to be a burden that we just simply can't afford. Most projections with respect to social services relevant to the aging, Medicare, etc., are looking at 2030 as somewhat of a crisis point. That used to sound further away than it does now. 15 years. You bet. bet 15 years will go by in the blink of an eye. I think what you're talking about is either baby boomers become a burden to the system or they become an asset. We we still have a chance here with 15 years to go to uh, turn that around. This is a large national challenge. Uh, We're living longer, healthier lives. Uh, This idea that we're going to withdraw from the workforce and retire at 60, it, it isn't reality anymore. And in fact, uh, you make the point that work isn't a on and off switch. Yes. When age discrimination was passed, it was passed during the Civil Rights Movement, the 1967 Age Discrimination and Employment Act. And so it got treated like any other type of discrimination. But look at the other types of discrimination that people were dealing with during the civil rights period. Race. You're white you're African-American or you're Hispanic. You don't gradually become one of those. You're male or you're female. You don't gradually, for the most part, change that position. Now, think about age. It's not an honor. You're not young or old. There may have been a time when people didn't live very long where you say young, old, but look at life now. And so aging is a process. So a law that treats aging and age discrimination, just like other forms of discrimination, sort of designs our world around an on-off switch from an aging perspective, and it's just not accurate. And it prevents us from being able to have useful dialogue in the workplace with respect to the aging process. Another thing to think about from a discrimination viewpoint, when we look at those other on-off switches, now look at age, guess what? All of us will someday age. So it's it's something that everybody's going to go through. So the notion that you just can't have conversations with the aging workforce and talk about age is something that is hurting our ability to solve this problem. So I, I think the two points you're bringing up is that it's different in terms of discrimination because aging is a continuum. I don't, you know, what 50 might be old to others, 80 might be old to others, 30 might seem old when you're younger. Uh, So it's a continuum. And more importantly, unlike other discriminatory uh, practices, uh, the age discrimination will eventually affect everyone. Unless you die at a young age, it's going to eventually affect you. That's precisely correct. And I... We have the opportunity at PDS. We employ a number, one of our specialties is aerospace engineering. And in preparation for the book, I did a number of focus groups and dinners with some of our contractors who are over 70. And contractors we call people working at clients. And so what they say when you sit with people in their 70s, and I have over 200 of them working in the workplace, they say, cash. I'm doing some of the best work of my life. And it's just so cool to talk to them and engage with them. 
and they don't feel like they're ready to be put out to pasture. What they do feel like is they would like to spend some time doing some things on their own, working on their terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's understandable. You kind of feel like you earn it. Now, we have to take our first scheduled break. When we come back, we're going to find out what changes employers and the government must make to adapt to the third age workforce. You're listening to the Costa Report. Every day our world gets more complicated. Not only is new information coming at us faster than we can manage, new regulations, technology, and the effects of globalization have made it much more difficult to succeed. That's why I wrote The Watchman's Rattle, a book that, for the first time, explains how complexity makes it hard to separate facts from fiction and eventually causes us to make important decisions based on unproven beliefs. And not just us, our leaders also fall prey to this phenomena. But here's the good news. Once you know the symptoms to watch for, you can safeguard against them. So please, go to RebeccaCosta.com. That's RebeccaCosta.com. And order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. It only takes a few minutes and the shipping is free. That's RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now. You'll be glad you did. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM big data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start. It matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. Hi, registered pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years. And what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. Moles are really typically not a big deal, and a lot of things get called moles that aren't really moles. Moles are technically, moles are are little dark spots. They can be a sign of cancer if they change color or change shape. That's really what you want to be careful of, is moles that change color or change shape. Moles are typically benign, and they're not really a big deal for the most part, Uh, but Every once in a while, somebody's going to have an unusual mole, a weird kind of mole, and those are the kind of moles that can develop into cancers, melanomas. Those are the really big problems. If you've got a mole and it looks weird, it changes color, it changes outline, it grows, whatever. If it seems to be morphing in any kind of way, uh, that's something that you really want to be careful of. Uh, moles are typically, however, not, for most people, they're not really a big deal. So I wouldn't be messing around with them unless you suspect, unless it looks weird in any way. Like I say, it changes color, shape, or anything like that. If it's just a little mole, I wouldn't worry about it. Moles uh, are typically just a pigmented issue. They can be raised or they can be flat, but it's basically just pigment. However, like I say, this is very important. If the change of shape looks weird, grows larger, whatever, in any kind of way, that's something that you really want to take care of because it can develop into a melanoma. So skin darkening, hyperpigmentation, blotchy skin is a sign of number one, excess cortisol, number two, excess estrogen, and number three, deficiencies in antioxidants. Those are the three main causes of hyperpigmentation. If you want a fourth cause, prescription drugs can do it too, probably because prescription drugs mess up cortisol. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is the author of Boomerangs, an expert on emerging emerging changes in America's workforce. Now, you put forth in your book some changes that the private sector and government must make, and among them, you advocate a pathway to gradual retirement rather than an all-or-nothing approach to work. So can you tell us uh, a little bit about the specific changes that you feel need to be made? Yes, First, I think it's extremely important we be allowed to talk about age. (laughs) Right now, if I approach you in the workplace and say, you know, you're getting older, uh, maybe be interested in some reducing your hours or alternative work schedules. If I do that because of your age, I'm violating the Age Discrimination Act. Do you leave yourself open to a lawsuit if you do that? Yep. Exactly. Wow. Sounds ridiculous. But you, you, you know, you would have to go to everybody and say, in order to avoid potential lawsuit, you'd have to go to everybody and say, okay, um, maybe some of you would like to work less. <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> and so, you know, what well, first thing that's going to happen is all the millennials are going to take you up on it. <laughs> that's an inside joke for millennials. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I I get it. They're, of course, they're going to take you up on it. And, and so you can't really tailor the work to what's age appropriate is what you're saying. Exactly. And so as a result, these things aren't happening because uh, of several reasons. But one of the reasons is this embedded notion that we have that that would be illegal. And but imagine if you could at a certain age, I don't know what the exact age is, 65, um, could say, Hey, anybody who would like um, to reduce their hours or have this kind of schedule or, or maybe have a phased retirement over five years, don't even call it retirement. We need an absolutely uh, new word. We have climbing the corporate ladder. I'm talking about a deceleration, mm-hmm. you know, the, stepping this, the downward step, the deceleration. And, and be able to say, you know, here's some alternative structures because what happens now too often under the existing law is that under the existing law you can get you can terminate people for reasons other than age but they look a lot like age like your benefits are expensive or you're expensive and when you talk to the people who are in their 60s and 70s and even 80s they'll tell you hey you know I'm willing to cost less because I'm happy to do less mm-hmm. but I'd like to keep doing well, in the absence of those conversations, it's an on-off switch, and the employer just waits until they can find a way. Not all employers, but it's it's too predominant. Find a way to let that person go, and in many ways, they feel they have no other choice because they want to save money. They can hire someone younger, and yeah, they may lose some talent, but it's the only thing that they can think of to do in the current structure as it is. Mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, corporations offer you early retirement or they offer you retirement at a certain age. Is there any way to just offer the option of instead of retirement or early retirement, a step down program? You become eligible for a step down program that carries out over a period of time. That would be ideal. Mm-hmm. And that would be in everybody's best interest. Let's call that the win, 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 because the company gains the benefit of that expertise. You don't deteriorate and lose your uh, ability to be helpful. At and, and you have a you have a legacy transition. I mean, you know, people talk about legacy data, and so often you have somebody that's been with the company for thirty years leave, or or offer to transition in one week or two weeks, which is equally absurd. It is. In some companies, you know, let's call it institutional knowledge, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, This is something that they can't teach you in business school, that they can't teach you in undergrad business school or MBA school, because it it is DNA that's unique to the organization. It's There's a way that company A does it, there's the way you're taught it, and there's the way company B does it. And those who are long-term in those companies A or companies B, they know that knowledge. And by and large, that institutional knowledge is not written down. It's something you're taught over yeah, the years. That's right. And that's that, right. and when you lose that, it's in, it's just horrible when you lose that, and you, you just can't teach it to someone right out of school. And so that's that's 
that's the loss from the employer's perspective. From the government's perspective, you have a social services burden that is going to be incredible if we don't find a way to keep these people productive and in the workforce. Because then, hey, they're not pulling out of Social Security. They may still be contributing to Social Security. So there ought to be a reward for employers. There ought to be a reward for them keeping people engaged so that they're not on disability, which has dramatically increased if you look at the data on disability. When unemployment was so high, all the states hired a firm to contact people to see if maybe something hurt or bothered them. And if they could get them on disability, then it was a federal burden rather than a state burden. And the numbers on that are just dramatic. And so all that burden, whether it's a state level or federal level, that government burden hurts. And then you've got the individual themselves. And when you talk to people that are still working, still productive, still engaged, relative to someone who took a buyout and can't find a job after two years, you know who's happier. Uh, terminations affect health. Involuntary terminations are, have a dramatically negative impact on people's health. But we've got a double-edged sword here when it comes to the government. I mean, you know, if there are not enough jobs in the country, the last thing they want is people that are of retirement age also claiming to seek jobs and be, not being able to find employment. I mean, they don't want those statistics to look bad. So, you know, retirement gets them off of the I am looking for a job and can't find one statistics. It's part. You're absolutely right, and that's an excellent point. It's part of what is making our unemployment statistics um, misleading. Yeah, they look better okay. than than they should be because there's a lot of people that are that are retired and said, "Well, you know, I guess I'm supposed to be out of the workforce, so I'm not going to look." And th- that data isn't being reported. It's not, and there, and you could say, and this doesn't matter whether what party you're from, but. They they do get happy when someone comes into an age of retirement and they don't have to count them anymore as someone who should be working. And just as a reminder, that's a third of our population coming into retirement. So a third of them aren't looking for jobs anymore. That kind of solves those unemployment nasty numbers, right? It does. And if you look at the labor participation rate, you know, so we we publish, the government emphasizes the unemployment rate, which is just a survey. Okay, it's a Mm -hmm. telephonic survey of households. But look at what we really want to look at. The job participation rate is only 62% or so, which is the lowest it's been since they started measuring it. Mm -hmm. That's another deceptive statistic. And if you're over 55, it's extremely challenging to find a job. And now I think of the unemployed that are unemployed, roughly a third of them are long-term unemployed over six months. Right. And as you point out, when you're unemployed, uh, frequently you become a burden to the system. So it's a double whammy. We have an asset that's not being used. We've created laws that make it difficult to use that asset or almost impossible for employees, uh, employers to use that asset. And we've now created a situation where we're taxing the system. Now we have to take another break. Stay, stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more from Cash Nickerson. You're listening to the Costa Report. We're fortunate to have Scott Caraccioli with us to explain how the process of making sparkling wines influences a winemaker's approach to making a Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Yeah, it's really a driving factor in terms of style and really kind of making it a little bit more old world. Um, we use all French oak, which is the same thing that we use in our sparkling wines. So I would imagine that someone who's not making sparkling wines will take a totally different approach. Yeah, it's a matter of viewpoint when it comes down to when you have a French winemaker making bubbles, you end up with a leaner, more European style of wine. To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars, where you have to spell it to drink it. Holy smokes, look at that! 
Folks, Michael Olson here. It is a beautiful day down here in Watsonville. I'm at Marty Frannich Ford Lincoln, and right here in front of me out on the lot is something new I've never seen before, and it is hot. Rocky, what is it? Michael, I'm excited to tell all the listeners that's the new Lincoln MKC. It's a new, smaller SUV with the Lincoln brand name on it, and it's got many, many class-exclusive features, such as an active shutter grill. It's got push-button shift. It has a foot-operated tailgate. It's just something people have to come down and see for themselves. It's got an amazing audio system also, by the way, and I think radio people love good audio systems. So it's a, a, it's a car you just have to see to appreciate. Uh, I like to remind people that we're the exclusive Lincoln dealer for Santa Cruz County now. We've got these new Lincoln MKCs, and they're priced right and ready to roll at Marty Frannich Ford Lincoln in Watsonville. Hi, this is Ethan Behrman, a host on the ZBS Radio Network, and I'd like to introduce you to the all-new ZBSRadio.com. ZBS Radio brings you a variety of talk radio programming on subjects like health and nutrition, politics, personal finance, gardening, pet care, technology, and so much more. At ZBSRadio.com, you'll find podcasts as well as live and on-demand streams of exciting and informative talk radio programming that's available to you 24 hours hours a day, seven days a week on your computer or mobile phone. Listen on the web using our streaming player or in your iTunes or other listening software. Also, be sure to check the app section of our website to find mobile apps that make listening to your favorite shows even easier. Check the shows page at zbsradio.com to see our current lineup of shows. New shows will be added all the time. Thank you for listening to the ZBS Radio Network. Here's Charles Friedman on federal hypocrisy. Representative Daryl Issa, the congressman who chairs the Oversight uh, and Governmental Affairs Committee, has now ordered the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to provide all documents related to this case, prioritizing charges against a private citizen for incidental and relatively minor injuries to a non-endangered species, commissioned by a federal agency, no less, appears nothing short of bureaucratic bullying. In other words, Congressman Issa, somebody is finally trying to come to the rescue of poor Ernesto Polito, tree trimmer. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has asked the U.S. Attorney General's Office to file charges, and uh, Issa says that uh, is hypocritical given that government routinely gives a pass to their own workers, government workers. Whenever bureaucracy runs amok, reach for a dose of common sense on The Charles Friedman Show, weekdays noon to 2 on KSEO AM 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, our guest today is Cash Nickerson. Now, in addition to living longer, uh, there are other factors contributing to working into a later age, uh, aren't there? Um, Many baby boomers uh, were hurt by the dot-com collapse, and then the second punch was the bust of the housing bubble, which not only sent investments tumbling, but also the one asset that retirees may have been counting on their homes to become worth a lot less. So now you add those two downturns to the fact that corporate pensions and retirement programs have disappeared and Social Security is in trouble. And um, I, I guess my question is, how much of working longer uh, is really by choice? You know, I don't know that anyone has exactly the statistics, although there have been some surveys done. The, the But the notion of financial need is a strong one. And retiring is much more expensive than people had realized. There's tremendous uncertainty about health care um, with respect to its future and how much it's really going to cost and the mandates, because we're in an era of change in that regard with the Affordable Care Act. So I... When I talk to people in my focus groups of, of aging workers, is it's a combination of I want to stay productive. Some of them tried retiring and found it extremely boring. Uh, you know, they found themselves spending a lot of their day thinking about nothing other than let's see where which which of the seven restaurants I frequent will I eat tonight. 
um, and these are people who retired successfully. So there's a there's a strong boredom factor. I mean, if you're going to retire and just do it for a few years, that's one thing. But if you're looking at 15, 20, 30 years of retirement, that's just not going to work, right? So, um, but the financial side of the equation is is a big one. People look at the stock market now and say, well, the gains are back. But if you look at the data, and I have a friend who has some of this data and shared it with me, the individual investors tended to, you know, took the hit and got out and then didn't come right back in. So the institutions may have benefited from the stock market coming back, but the individuals were afraid. And I think the uncertainty that exists in our current environment Given these two, these recent uh, challenges, your house, yes, your house was something you could count on, especially in certain states, a state like California that was like, no doubt, your real estate was always going to go up. And, and there was a devastating impact to this last recession, which related to housing. And I think it's just caused people to feel uncertain and at least work. One of the benefits of work is it gives you something to take your mind off other uncertainties. It's got so many positive effects. And sociologists have studied how much better people feel working Absolutely. and being engaged. Absolutely. No, no question about it. We have the evidence to know that uh, your the quality of your life, your health is affected by the meaningful work that you do and your contributions. Um, and uh, so it, th- this is this information is known um, and shame on us for not taking action on it. Now, I have a company. It's a small company. And you, of course, have a very large outsourcing company. Uh, I am noticing when I put out a, a job, an ad for a job, uh, I am noticing that I am getting either uh, retirees applying for the job or college graduates, not a lot in between. It's interesting. I've never seen this before. Usually get a kind of an even mix. I'm either getting young people with no experience or retirees that have a lot of experience but want to be reengaged again. Um, Do you find that to be true? Is there some trend in that direction? You're absolutely right. And what you notice, Rebecca, is the barbells of our demographics. So imagine there's 80 million baby boomers, Mm -hmm. those born... 1964 and and earlier, there's only 48 million in the generation behind that. Okay. So Gen X is a small generation. And then there's the echo boomers or millennials and they're 78 million. So you actually have something that looks like a barbell and that's why you're seeing that phenomenon because statistically you're dealing with the two biggest groups As an employer, that creates a big challenge because you either have young people with lots of energy, lots of ambition, low on experience, right, and are less expensive to hire, or you have uh, seniors that have a lot of experience but sometimes uh, are a little disconnected from the technology or the new methodologies which have changed so quickly. I mean, you could stay out of the workforce five years and feel really out of touch. It's absolutely true. I wrote a piece uh, on LinkedIn called The Coming Civil War for Jobs in America. (laughs) And it's and 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 what it's about is it's about the very uh, phenomenon that you're witnessing. It's about the fact that that people and their children are now competing for jobs. And to the extent that parents are staying and graying in the workforce, they're actually causing themselves to have to have their child in the basement because they're staying in the workforce longer and keeping the child from being able to have a job. There are only so many jobs, as you and I talked about earlier. And so this this civil war is not brothers and cousins this time. It's parents and their children because the parents want to stay engaged. Now, if you and I put our heads together, Rebecca, if we started a foundation or something, said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do nothing but spend our time figuring out how to create job sharing between those two generations, mm-hmm. job sharing opportunities, mentoring, etc. We're going to create a new st- job structure, a 50-hour work week where uh, the young person works 30 and the other person, the uh, more aging person works 20 hours. And we're going to produce something better than you can produce out of a person working 40 hours with 10 hours overtime. And in certain disciplines in our country, this is extremely important. And aerospace engineering happens to be one of them. Half of the engineering workforce 
for some of our major aerospace engineering firms are now eligible for retirement. Mm-hmm. Now, half think the about workforce. What that does. Wow. Half. Think about that. What? Think about what that does to our aerospace and defense mm-hmm. programs. I mean, this is a threat to our national security if we don't figure this out. Right. But let's talk about, we were talking about a stepping down retirement yep. over, let's say, 10 years yep. or 15 years. Why not bring in college graduates that have a step-up program, right? That's that job sharing where you're you're matched with a mentor or you're matched on a team. And as people are, are stepping down into retirement, you're stepping up your contribution. I, I have just proposed the program to a major company in the United States, which I think is going to be adopted, mm-hmm. that that will take uh, traditional retirement age engineers and then pair them. So put them in a center and then bring in promising uh, college graduates and have them work in that center with those people for uh, one to two years and then put them in the workforce. And then we'll have an accelerated uh, beginning in the workforce so, I mean, these, but these are the kinds of things that are just non-existent, very early stages where they might exist. But this is exactly the kind of thing that we need to do and be proactive about in order to get the best of all possible worlds, get everybody working and accelerate the learning and education of, of the youth. That is an exciting program. I certainly hope they adopt it, and I hope it becomes a model for many other companies because it's not just the aerospace industry, uh, which we stand to lose half that workforce, but there are other industries as well um, that are very vital, um, particularly in medicine, as an example, where you would want to have that kind of a mentoring program. Um, we we see the stock market setting these new records, and and uh, and we also see that uh, there's a massive U.S. deficit, and uh, and you know when we stand back and say, well, the cure to all of that seems to be creating more jobs, um, we have to take a short break. But when we come back, I'd like to ask you, you know, if if you were asked to the and invited to the White House, and they said, you know, what what do we do to create more jobs? I'd like to get your take on that because not only are you running uh, one of the largest outsourcing uh, um, staffing companies. You've also been an entrepreneur and you're responsible for starting uh, 11 companies on your own. You've created a lot of jobs for the economy. So I'd like to ask you uh, what your advice would be to our leaders in Washington. We're going to take that last break right now, but stay right where you are. We'll be back after these short messages from our sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. The crisis in the Ukraine is the latest global conflict to pit the United States against Vladimir Putin's Russia. While the Cold War may have ended, U.S.-Russia diplomacy is here to stay. Understanding this volatile new era is not easy. For many years, experts have been trying to explain Russia's new leadership, but cracking the inner circle has remained elusive until now. The American Program Bureau represents some of the most knowledgeable and prominent Russian insiders who are available to speak to your organization. Experts such as Mikhail Gorbachev former leader of the Soviet Union and master architect of modern-day Russia. Vladimir Posner, the dean of Russian journalism. Andrei Kosarev, the first foreign minister under Boris Yeltsin. And Pavel Palashenko, chief advisor for 25 years to Gorbachev, are available to speak at your next event. No Speakers Bureau offers greater insights into how Russia impacts our economy, our world, and our lives. To schedule these esteemed leaders for your next event, contact the American Program Bureau at 800-225-4575 or apbspeakers.com. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouth-watering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad 
or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. Wake up to the best little road race in California. Hey, race fans, KO here. Join me, three-time Wharf to Wharf champion Barbara Costa and spotter Patricia Souza this Sunday at 8 a.m. in KSEO's Tacmobile for the 42nd annual running of the Wharf to Wharf race. Ride with us as we fly along in front of those long-legged Kenyans with start-to-finish coverage. We'll describe all the give-and-take as the runners jockey for position, the bands lift the fog with all their great sounds and the spectators shout encouragement to runners as they race for the finish line in Capitola. The 2014 Wharf to Wharf is on Sunday at 8 a.m. and it's brought to you in part by Lloyd's Tire and Auto Care Beats Club and Chain Store Prices on Michelin and other top brands every day. Lloyd's is now your one-stop shop for complete car care, so next time you need tires, scheduled maintenance, or a diagnosis and repair, think Lloyd's Tire and Auto Care on River Street in Santa Cruz. Howdy, folks. This is Randy the Realtor letting you know the 2014 County Fair slogan is Sow it, grow it, show it. But don't forget to bring it to the County Fair so you can win a ribbon. If you need to buy or sell a home, call me, Randy the Realtor, and I'll make it an award-winning experience. Give me a call at 831-566-2590. That's 831-566-2590. Or visit my website at aptoshomefinder.com. Michael Olson's first law of the food chain. Agriculture is the foundation upon which we build all our sandcastles. That's right, folks. No surplus of food, no sandcastles. So before we all get upset from the dust and noise of agriculture, let's get together Saturday at 9 a.m. as the Food Chain Radio Show goes behind the scenes of the industry that keeps us all civilized. If you have a comment about the first law of the food chain, tell me, Michael Olson, all about it at MetroFarm.com. Now, see you all on KSEO Saturday at 9 a.m. for some What's Eating What Radio on the Food Chain. What day was that? Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and today our guest is the author of Boomerangs, Cash Nickerson. So bringing the conversation full circle back to creating more jobs, uh, I recently spoke with the president of the National Venture Capital Association on this exact subject, and the NVCA publishes some interesting statistics on the numbers produced, uh, numbers of jobs produced by VC-backed startups after they go through an initial public offering. So taking Microsoft, for example, Microsoft had 1,200 employees uh, before they went public. And after their IPO, they added 92,000 jobs. Intel had 460 employees and jumped to over 100,000 jobs following their IPO. Uh, Apple had 1,000 employees, and after they went public, they added 75,000 more employees to their payroll. And the list goes on and on. Home Depot added 330,000 jobs, Starbucks 157,000, Whole Foods 67,000, eBay went from 38 employees to 31,000. So it seems to me that when early stage investors have a clear exit strategy and an upside, we here in this country know how to create more jobs. We've demonstrated we know how to do this. So uh, what I want to ask you today is what you think is broken and more importantly, how do we fix it? Wow, those are excellent statistics and in line with everything I believe and have learned. I will say that I don't think Washington, and it doesn't matter who you're talking about, I'm completely nonpartisan, I don't think they understand job creation. Part of it is because we have too many career politicians. We don't have people that have ever created a job. And so they're just kind of mysterious about it, like whether the president's saying, okay, now everything's good, now go hire some people. As if that's all it takes is a will, <laughs> you know, and 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 I pointed this out in stagnation. Really, the the drivers on improving the job situation, I, I use the acronym idiot, not directed at anyone whatsoever, but just to help me remember immigration. And I'm not talking about the crisis down on the Rio Grande. I'm talking about the fact that we bring people over to study in our great universities, which is an incredible asset that we have. And then we send them back home and say, whatever you do, don't innovate here. And innovation, which is really what goes to the heart of job creation, is, is another one of the eyes in the word idiot. Because innovation, but let's look at innovation. You describe great companies who all had an innovative 
tool. And yes, they got financially backed, but innovation produces jobs. Here's an example. Okay. When the, when the people were trying to decide in the government, should we save GM and the other auto companies during the crisis? One, uh, one governor, the governor of Michigan said, look, if you look at the auto industry, about one in 10 jobs can be traced to the auto industry. And if you look at the innovation that the automobile was, you think about one in 10 jobs could be affected by the auto industry. That shows what creates jobs. This is new inventions and innovation. So how do you spur that? We have lost so much ground to China and other countries because we are not producing enough engineers. So I would tell the president and the Congress, we need to move rapidly to increase the STEM education programs. We need to have a bias towards scientists away from lawyers. <laughs> um, we need a full court press to regain uh, the ground we lost on research and development because innovation is probably the most important factor. And then more more science, you know, more engineering, more yeah, mathematics yeah. Uh, in terms yeah. of training, so that we can compete. Yeah. You know, uh, literally so that our employees can compete on a global basis. That's number one. Uh, But we also have a machine here that has been proven to produce hundreds of thousands, millions of jobs. We can produce jobs in this country. Uh, we All we do is we invest in innovation in early stage companies, and then we infuse cash when they go to the public market. This is a formula that has been time-honored and is responsible for most of the jobs in the United States. I'm not really sure why that has broken down. Yeah, well, again, um, and, and that is in the Silicon Valley. We need to find a way for that model to fan out from the Silicon Valley and get into the Midwest, mainstream America. And that's an interesting challenge. So the question is, not does that model work. You have pointed out correctly. It works tremendously. The question is, how do we, how do we replicate that? How do we advance that? How do we get that genetic code to permeate? Mm-hmm. the entire United States. I think that that is a very good question for someone for someone to work on. It it is and and, and it solves yeah. part of this problem with the which you call the civil war of the jobs market. I mean, if there are lots of jobs and we don't have to fight each other for those jobs. That's exactly right. And jobs one of my favorite phrases I can jobs solve everything. They really do. If you absolutely at, solve our deficit, yeah. they solve health yeah. problems. They they cure. Yeah. They're the, they're the elixir, aren't they? They are, and and that's why I spend so much time, all my spare time, thinking about job creation, creating jobs. There's some other things we can do. You you look at the during the crisis, unemployment rates in some states, you know, were very much double digit, and then you look at other states. The the Dakotas had a three percent rate. Um, because of discoveries of oil and such there, we don't do a very good job at helping mobilize the workforce. What I call this, in quick terms, idiot, the T was for talent imbalances. What government structures could help solve talent imbalances where we've got, and there's multiple types, they could because of we don't have the educated workforce that we need, because geographic, it could be a number of factors, but these talent imbalances, I don't think anyone in the government is spending any time thinking about how to resolve talent imbalances. Because if you interview clients today and employers today, a lot of them say, we can't find the talent that yes. we need. Yes. So there's a disconnect between what we have and what we need. And we just sit back and hope it works itself out over time. And that's just plain dumb. Well, that's not what you're doing. You're not sitting back. Right. And and, uh, and we really appreciate that. Uh, that is all the time we have left this hour. Boy, I, I wish I could have kept you over for several hours because uh, this is a topic that is very important. And your book, Boomerangs, very important also. And I hope that listeners today will take a moment to get the book and you know take it to the beach with you. Take it on vacation and read it. It's a so bring look at uh, at uh, characterizing the changing demographics of America's workforce. Thank you for being with us today, Mr. Nickerson. I, I hope you come back soon. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it.
If your station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about today's interview, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and let me know how you felt about our conversation today with Cash Nickerson. As baby boomers remain in the workforce later in life, how does that change the way that companies recruit, operate, and help them transition into retirement? Cash says working and retirement are not an on and off switch, but what kind of work are older Americans qualified to to perform and can are, are they allowed to even talk about that in the workplace and more importantly what advantages do they offer over younger hungrier workers maybe you have some thoughts on that or maybe even some experiences along this line if you'd like to share those with me you can do that at rebeccacosta.com just click on the contact page and there's a big white box right there where you can uh, type in your comments and by the way if you missed the full interview with Cash Nickerson today or any of our other weekly guests uh, remember you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our new YouTube channel. And while you're at our website, take a moment to check out the new video of the first public debate on the Affordable Care Act six months after the fact. The debate is hosted by Fox News personality Juan Williams, and I'm one of the members of this panel. And if you haven't seen the video yet, just go to RebeccaCostaMyName.com, and it's right there on the homepage. If you want to know how the insurance industry is responding to Obamacare, this is the one video to watch. And don't forget to pick up your copy of The Watchman's Rattle on our website. All you have to do is click on the image of the book and it takes about two minutes. So get your copy right now. The Watchman's Rattle is the only book that shows how complexity, overregulation, and more data that at any other time in human history has produced gridlock and a disturbing confusion between empirical facts and unproven beliefs. So take a moment to get your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. All proceeds from the book go toward keeping quality programming, like the interview you just listened to with Cash Nickerson on the air. And speaking about a commitment to deliver quality journalism every single week, I have been promised by our producers that we have a very special guest for you next week. Uh, but they were not able to confirm that guest prior to our live show today. So uh, we will we'll all have to wait and stay tuned to find out who that is. Uh, make sure you check your local station for next week's guest. And rest assured, I'll be finding out who that guest is at the same time you will uh, as they're keeping it under tight wraps. So you be sure to join us next week right here on the only news program which puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 